Hi, welcome again to the latest Business Finance Bulletin Extra with me, Rob Warlow from Business Loan Services. In these extra bulletins, it's all about interviewing industry experts who can give us insights and tips into specific areas of finance. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Liz Mayer from Centurion. Hi, Liz. Hello, Rob. Hello, everybody. Yeah. And so Centurion is a VAT consultancy firm specializing in maximizing VAT recovery and minimizing exposure to VAT errors and penalties. They're there for you when VAT gets complicated. So Liz, VAT can be a very complicated topic. So before we get into this, just give us a little bit of a background about um, Centurion, about you and the team. Right. Well, thanks, Rob. Yeah. Uh, well, Centurion um, has been around since 1998. Um, we started as a trading subsidiary of the University of Wales, uh, largely because the university sector, um, very complicated for VAT purposes, which is where we come in. And yeah. we're a bit tired of paying out the high level of consultancy fees, shall we say, to the big four firms. So they, um, they recruited an in-house sort of VAT person. Um, and, uh, and his name was, was Alan Marr, so you can sense a bit of a connection. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the idea grew from there. Um, there's now uh, seven of us in the business. Okay. And uh, we um, have, have come out of the university's control back in 2007. So we're a, an owner-managed business. There are three directors, uh, Louise, uh, Andrea, and myself. And then there's two more um, experienced technical staff and some admin support. We're based here in Newport, but we work across the UK. In fact, we've got clients in North America. Um, mm. The important thing for people to know is we're not accountants. We're, mm. We are VAT specialists. Um, and as you yeah. said, we deal with that when it gets complicated. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to say about VAT being complicated and you about being specialists. More as a, a, a great believer that sometimes you know, little knowledge is dangerous. And it's often the case that everyone thinks they know about topics like VAT, but as we'll explore as we go on, it's actually a very big minefield, isn't it? It's also interesting how the business started as well, it was a spin out of university. Um, That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, we now work across, uh, not just the education sector, obviously we've got large corporates that we look after, Um, and we're like most small specialist businesses, Uh, you know, you've probably never heard of us, but, you know, people refer us on to other Mm. uh, areas or take us with them when they move on almost, so... Yeah, we work across okay. a, a, a wide range now. Well, I so say the reason I wanted to have, have a chat with you today because I, I I know that you're um, you, you say you've got really in depth knowledge in in the VAT sector, and I said earlier it's a, a bit of a minefield, and I wanted to kind of explore this topic so small business owners can be aware of the pitfalls perhaps when it comes to VAT. First of all, let's go back to basics. Another question that I've often wondered, where did the AT start? What's kind of the history to it? Because it's one of those taxes that seem to have been around forever and we often wonder the logic behind it. But a quick history lesson, actually. What's behind it all? Um, well, the highlights... Um I suppose the UK has got uh, a VAT system. It's, an, it's what we call an indirect tax system. Um, it's, it's like a tax on consumption, uh, like a sales tax, but it's, it's slightly different. Um, we've got it in the UK because we joined the European Union. So uh, it, it arrived in the UK on the 1st of April, 1973. Mm. Uh, April Fool's Day, always a good day for a new tax. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it, been in existence within the European uh, community context and that's why as I say it came on board with us so it, it's been around gosh what does that take us you know 25 plus um, 40 odd plus yeah. years 
Um, it's now a tax system that is widespread across the globe. There's a distinct shift from revenue-based taxes or profit-based taxes into this sort of consumption tax because it helps um, influence behavior sometimes. You know, you might mm. have a higher rate put on something that you don't want people to do and a lower rate on things that you do want to encourage them to do, like energy saving materials or um, smoking cessation projects and, and things like that. So, mm. yeah, it, it, in itself, it is a simple tax. It is an amount of tax that's charged on top of a supply. Mm. But I spent the last 40 odd years trying to make it complicated because sectors lobby, you know, fraud gets identified, people push the limits of the legislation. So, you know, it, it gets mm. more, more complicated. Yeah. And I guess that's, a, that's kind of led to the um, uh, boom in consultancy firms like yourself, because it is such a complex, um, complex area. As you said, products are moving in and out of VAT. And of course, there's talk at the moment, you, you mentioned about it being a consumption tax in order to perhaps lever the economy. As we're recording this at the moment, obviously, we're starting to hopefully come out of the coronavirus lockdown. And there has been talk, hasn't there, about, well, should government be varying VAT levels? Yeah, and, and they have done it before. Uh, remember, in, in sort of 2008 and 2010, we had the 20% it dropped, you know, 17.5% and back up. And it, it really does have a sizable impact on gross domestic product in terms of the economic. But you've got to remember with VAT that it is the um, second biggest tax source in the UK. It's slightly above national insurance. Mm. The only thing that's bigger is income tax. It's three times bigger than corporation tax, you know, in terms of, you know, the revenue it generates. Um, and you've seen how important it's been in the coronavirus issue because of the things like the VAT deferral schemes where people mm. have been allowed not to pay their VAT return liabilities in, in sort of March, April and, and, and perhaps into May for some. So, mm. you know, it's a real influencer, but it, it's a huge revenue generator, although interestingly, um, in uh, April, just gone now, April 2020, it was the first occasion ever that the revenue have paid out more VAT than they've collected. And okay. that's because of these deferment schemes. Yeah. In yeah. Place. And that's going to be a sizable issue for the revenue longer term, because, of course, what happens if those businesses have deferred, but then don't survive? Yes. Yeah, this issue about deferment is going to, certainly going to, going to be picking up. Um, I mean, it's, it's a great example of the proverbial kicking the can down the road. Mm. And, and that is the concern. I did wonder what the impact was going to be on government revenue, because I'm sure even the most cash positive of firms are no doubt going to be taking um, advantage of a deferral. I mean, if somebody's giving you a chance to retain your cash, why not take it? And I guess that's the danger for the UK economy, that all this cash... Um, is now going to sit in businesses' bank accounts and not the government's bank accounts. So, yeah, yeah it's interesting that you've, you've come up against that. Yeah, yeah. And I think people have also had sort of, um, you know, a moral thing about, well, actually, do I genuinely need it? Because mm. some, some businesses are ticking over quite nicely in terms of, of the environment because they've got specialist skills or specialist projects that are in high demand. Um, and, and, you know, for that mix of, well, should I, should I be seen from a corporate social responsibility mm. side, the larger corporates, should I be seen to defer that when actually I've got, you know, a dividend I'm going to pay shareholders and yet I'm deferring my VAT payments to the government. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, a, there's a political and moral as well as a financial aspect. 
you're right, you know, there is a social aspect to it. As you say, at the moment, the government needs all the revenue it can get to fund, for example, the furlough schemes. I mean, no doubt local councils are going to be pushing central government for funding um, in order to keep going with uh, kind of local services. So you're right, I guess there is a kind of moral obligation on all of us who do have the cash signet to pay that VAT and not, and not take advantage of the deferment. But yeah, an interesting conversation there. Uh, yeah. just, let's have a look at what's the quantum of the number of VAT registered firms in, in the UK? How many firms are actually um, registered and paying VAT? Um, I think there's probably now about 2.7 million VAT registrations across the UK. Uh, yeah. It's an increasing number. I think that's probably 2019 figures. Mm. Um, in Wales specifically, I think there's over 100,000 VAT registrations. And I think in Wales, we've got to remember that, that 95, 94% of businesses are, are what we call SMEs, small and medium size, and they employ less than 10 people, perhaps. Mm. Um, interestingly, yeah. most of the errors come from the small business sector as well though. So about 40% of tax errors uh, mm. that are identified come from the small sort of business community. And that's, that's largely because of um, what they call failure to take reasonable care, which is a phrase that crops up a lot when we're talking about penalties. Did you take reasonable care? Right, um, okay, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tax that hits a business the registration limit is still at the moment set the same for the next two years, which is um, £85,000 of taxable turnover. So mm -hmm. if you exceed that as a small business, then you, you're obliged to notify the revenue that you've exceeded it. You can, in certain circumstances, apply still not to be VAT registered, but they're mm -hmm. limited. So anybody's turning over over 85000 should be VAT registered if it's taxable income. In mm. your environment with, with financial services, a lot of firms might be turning over, you know, £100,000, but it's all that exempt commission. So that's not going to drive a VAT registration for no. them. Yeah. But it has been a point of discussion as to whether that 85000 should be lowered to get more people into VAT or raised to ease it for smaller businesses. And the mm. reason about it being lowered is because... The economy isn't growing if people artificially get to 80, 84,000 go, right, I'm not going to trade another month or I'm not going to take another person on to grow because I don't want to be that registered. So mm -hmm. psychologically, you know, the government is looking at um, what level that, that registration should be set at. Yeah. And that point that's still under discussion. Yeah, I remember that first came on my radar about 18 months, two years ago, I think, when there started to be discussions about this, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. That it does a threshold, as you say, artificially hold businesses back um, yeah. from going for turnover, essentially go to sleep for the last three months of their, of their um, potential BAT year in order to keep below the threshold. So, yeah, yeah so in the past, we could see over time um, the government making real wholesale changes to VAT, perhaps, especially as it's really going to have to look at all revenue generating opportunities that it can. Yeah. And don't forget, of course, I mentioned at the outset, this is a European based tax model that we took on board. When we leave on the 31st of December, mm. we are no longer tied to the VAT rules of the European Union. So at the moment, we, 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 you know, zero rate certain things, food and publications and things like that. Well, we don't have to. Um, yeah. Equally, we could zero rate things that we mm. can't at the moment. So, yeah. you know, post January, um, obviously subject to any political changes, and there's no no news on the wires that there will be. 
post you know 31st of December the whole gamut of how we manage the tax comes up for discussion but I come back to this point is it is the second biggest tax generator so yeah. for those down the pub conversation which we often hear isn't it is a oh so and so said this is going to disappear don't think it's going to happen guys no not at the, no, definitely not where we are now but we talk about so th those businesses then that that reach the threshold um currently as we call this you say 85 grand so uh, i've hit the threshold what are my vat options then because it's not just a case of uh just a blanket 20 percent. i know that there are different schemes that businesses can consider. So what are my options then once I hit that threshold? Well, that's going to depend on the nature of your organisation to a certain extent. But as you mentioned, there are a lot of, um, there's lots of schemes for smaller businesses, but there's also lots of different VAT regulations and rules. So, for example, as I say, um, we've got the standard rate of VAT, which is 20%. We've got the reduced rate of VAT, which is currently 5%. And we've got the zero rate, which is funny enough, zero at the moment, but it's still a taxable rate. So I might have £85,000 of zero rated income, which means mm. I have to notify the revenue that I've got to be VAT registered. And that might be, you know, your butchers, you know, selling foodstuffs, mm. um, you know, things that are zero rated, books, for example. But um, so you, you exceed the turnover, you become VAT registered. Well, you're not going to charge VAT on your sales because they're zero rated. But mm. what it does allow you to do is recover that on your costs mm. so you, you know that might be a, an upside for you to balance against the admin of, of doing VAT returns but if you're in a, a more general sort of business uh, environment and you're facing the fact that you're going to be charging 20% VAT on your sales then you might look at other schemes to help you manage the administration burden mm. um, so that might be something called the annual accounting scheme because normally you'd be doing a VAT return every three months, every quarter in the year, you mm. VAT return in. So if you think about an annual accounting scheme, then actually the, you're only putting one return in. So there's, you know, three bits of admin that you're going to be missing out on. So that might be something for a small business. Now, some of these are tied to your turnover. So mm. some of them you can only use if your, um, if your turnover is under 150,000, some of them you can use as long as your turnover is over under 1.3 million. So, you know, you need to understand whether you qualify. But there's another scheme which is good for small businesses, which is the cash accounting scheme. Mm -hmm. um, the way in which VAT rules are, uh, works, um, normally businesses, unless you're retailers, you'll be raising invoices for the things you do. So if you raise a sales invoice and have to charge VAT on it, you're obviously waiting for your customer to pay you. Mm. But your VAT comes up for payments and you've got to put that VAT off that invoice and declare it to the revenue. But you've not been paid yet. Mm. So there is a cash accounting scheme um, that you can use, which is basically saying, we'll treat you as if you're a retailer and you'll pay us the VAT when your customer pays you. So again, that might be something that, that people, I mean, it's something that, you know, we use here in St. Yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously with the growing problem of late payment, I mean, it's one of the biggest uh, uh, kind of problems and barriers that businesses quote is about late payment. So I, I guess the cash accounting scheme really helps there, doesn't it? Because you said you only pay the VAT over when you actually get paid. So that's yeah. a, a good scheme. I mean, that one. Yeah, there are other rules. If you are, if your turnover is above that, that threshold and you can't use the cash accounting scheme, so you're raising invoices and charging VAT and waiting for payment, then there are rules such as the VAT bad debt relief. 
So that is a, a rule that comes in and says, okay, if you if your credit period is 30 days and, and you, you, six months later after that, you still haven't been paid, then you can claim that VAT back that you put on your VAT return, you know, six mm. months ago. You can claim that back from the revenue, but you have to monitor it, obviously. So if your customer then pays them, you've got to reinstate the VAT liability. So there are, there are lots yeah. of um, cash flow planning ideas within the regulations to help you as well. Forget about that bad debt one. Hopefully, this won't be a big issue for businesses going forward. But I'm sure it will be, bearing in mind the period that we're entering now, the second half of the year when business is still going to be tough. You mentioned about bad debts then. Obviously, I, I paid over the VAT to HMRC. Um, how would HMRC actually define a bad debt? Would you have to prove then that you've actually chased the client to the nth degree about judgments, court orders, etc.? Or is it kind of an element of self-certification that, listen, I've tried, I've made a few phone calls, but now I'm writing it off as bad. How far do you have to go to define bad? The point you made is exactly right. You have to have written it off or, or taken it as a provision. Mm. So it's not like saying, oh, you know, I'll, I'll keep it there. I've actually got to do something with it in an accounting context. I've got to take it out of my, uh, my debtors and put it as a provision uh, for, for a potential bad debt. Mm. And that's the way you also map it. So you'll see that, you know, I invoice Joe Bloggs £1,000 plus £200 of VAT. I'm writing that off as a cost to my business. Um, but if Joe Bloggs then pays me £500, I'm going to have to account for the VAT out of the £500 he's paid me mm. and state that element. So there is process. Uh, and the other thing to, to, to bear in mind is that this this. That um, legislation on bad debts works on both sides of the sales and the purchase ledger. Mm -hmm. so if you think about it, if you've made a supply charge VAT and you're claiming it back because your customer hasn't paid you, you need to notify them because they are no longer entitled to the input tax that they may have yep. claimed. So it's very much like a scales of justice. If someone's declaring output tax, someone's got a right to recover input tax. So if you, you alter that scale in some way, mm. you know, you've got to have a corrective action. So equally, if in your purchases, you've claimed VAT on invoices and you've not paid them, then technically you're not entitled to that mm. invoice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, just one of these little quirks that you've got to be aware of. What about the flat rate scheme? It's something I've, you hear many small business owners saying that they're entering. How does that one work? And, and what circumstances would you say our oh, flat rate scheme would be good for me? Yeah, well, the flat rate scheme, there's two sorts of flat rate schemes at the minute. There's a specific one for farmers and speaking as a farmer's daughter, you know, that's, that's a good one. Um, that's, an, that's an alternative to being VAT registered, the, the flat rate scheme for farmers. Mm. Then there's the flat rate scheme as, as can be used by small businesses. Um, and it, it's not something that because we tend to deal with sort of larger things, um, it's not something we come across on a day to day basis. But the broad measure of it is that instead of charging 20% VAT on things that are standard rated and 5% VAT on things that are reduced rated, mm. then effectively you charge a flat rate of a percentage on all of your supplies, whether they're zero rated, exempt income, okay. you, know, rated. you charge a flat rate. And that flat rate is determined by the type of industry sector that you've, you've classified yourself as. Okay. Now, what that means is that you don't have the right to claim any input tax 
it's sort of saying, well, instead of declaring 20% output tax and then looking at your purchase invoices and working out how much VAT you can claim back, don't bother with any of that. Just charge this flat rate on everything that you sell. Mm. Now, okay. there's a complete list of, of the rates that apply uh, as a flat rate. And in some, you know, food environments, retail shops, it might be that the flat rate is 4%. Mm. Um, it might be that it's 12% you know, depending on the type of industry sector. So, you, you know, small businesses would need to look at well, what would be the rate that applies to me. Um, yeah. and, and that's why I guess taking advice from accountant to go through this to make sure that the right decision has been taken is really important, isn't it? Otherwise, you could yeah. end up financially disadvantaged. Okay. Yeah. And, and for some, you know, it's, it's a positive upside. You know, mm. you get rid of all the admin and the hassle and you've just got a straight, I charge, you know, whatever my percentage is. Obviously, you need, it's really important your accountant advises you as to which rate, you know, which industry mm. you fall in. Because, you know, you wouldn't want to manipulate this a bit, you know, the, the wrong way and get caught out later. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at what Centurion does, obviously, as, as I mentioned at the start, you're kind of consultants to help business owners kind of maximise recovery and minimise errors, etc. So... Um, let's assume now somebody's gone VAT registered and um, going well, etc. But they decided either to do the returns themselves or perhaps they're not recording stuff right. What are the typical mistakes that you've seen small business owners make when it comes to managing VAT? What would you say top five or seven errors or whatever it may be that you see them making? Um, largely, it, it can be as simple as human errors. They take the wrong figure. I think the other thing for, for everybody who's VAT registered to be aware of is obviously we're, we're now in the, the zone of what we call making VAT digital. Mm. And that is a specific measure that's in place to reduce the risk of human error. Because what it's saying is the, the way in which you create your VAT return declaration has got to be through a piece of software, mm. a digital accounting platform, whatever you choose, zero, sage, you know, SAP, mm. whatever, it, it's got to be through that digital platform. And as soon as information enters in, so as soon as you sort of create a sales invoice and register that on, on, on your software system, then the movement of that information through to the VAT return has to be through a digital format. Mm. We already have to submit our VAT returns digitally which means basically you don't put the information on a piece of paper. You don't even now put it through the government gateway and put it in the different nine boxes. Mm. Your, your software has to talk directly and send those nine boxes off to the revenue, unless you've applied for a, an exemption from that. Mm. So we're already in that zone of the, the revenue, trying to minimize, you know, the fact that people, um, you know, miss a note, add a note, take the wrong figure, um, you know, the formula on the Excel spreadsheet they've been using misses out three lines at the top. You know, all of that stuff that we 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 inherit a system and we think, oh, I'll just do it how it was done without mm -hmm. actually understanding what it is I'm trying to tell the revenue. So the digital process, although coronavirus, it, the second stage has been deferred to give us a bit more time to next year, we still have to get ready for that. But common areas, Rob, they'd be things like... Um, Claiming VAT off a piece of paper that isn't a VAT invoice. You know, mm. you've paid VAT. Somebody, somebody said, you said, oh, I need a receipt for that because I'm going to put it in my books. They give you a receipt and it's, it's not the proper evidence that, that you've got. But how would I know the difference then if I was doing that? Then how do I see the difference between a proper VAT invoice and a normal just receipt? What am I looking for? Right. 
Well, as you would expect, the legislation, um, you know, which is, you know, this, this, this is the VAT legislation. Oh my God. Right? <laughs> Those very... listening on the podcast version, um, Liz has just picked up the equivalent of war and peace, I think. That's yeah. huge. And, and, and the thickness of the paper is like the old toilet tissue thickness. So it's Dear pretty me. How on earth can any, well, yes, yeah. specialists but... get you guys involved. So uh, if you uh, if you look at that, the regulations will set out what must be on a piece of paper for it to be a proper VAT invoice. And and furthermore, this issue I mentioned earlier about, you know, mistakes by reason, not taking reasonable care. So um, I'll admit, you know, I used to be a VAT inspector, you know, I'm better now. I've had treatment. <laughs> and everything. Um, but, you know, there are people out there that will make up VAT numbers. There were people who will make up an in, a piece of paper to look like an invoice, mm. and they'll pop, they might even put a proper a legitimate VAT registration number on there, but it won't be theirs. Mm. Uh, I, I've seen invoices go through when when you check the VAT number, it was Marks and Spencer's invoice, and it was so say from a you know a haulage contractor. So you know we've got to make sure that there's a VAT registration number on there and you've got to take reasonable care to check that that is the correct number. Now you can do that online. There's a, a system called VIES mm -hmm. uh, information system free to access It's part of the European union. You can put on there and see, is this a valid number? Um, it's got to be on a supply that was made to your business that is VAT registered whether you're a sole proprietor or a partner, you can't claim VAT on bills just because you've paid them. Mm. It's been on a supply made to you. Mm. Um, so it's got to, it's got to be an invoice as well. So if somebody sends you a pro forma invoice, that is not a VAT invoice. That is a request for payment. So we've got to watch out for things that say they're delivery notes, statements, pro forma invoices, it's mm. got to be a proper VAT invoice with a VAT number on it addressed to you. And to be honest, Rob, there's about 10 other pieces of information, but those are the really important things that okay. need to be done. But do you think in time, because obviously there's a kind of a manual process gap there, that do you think in time the system will get intelligent enough to interrogate this in the, in, in the, in the back end to find out those errors? Because it just seems to be if somebody yeah. grabs I mean, somebody else's VAT number and, and, and it all goes through okay, it just seems a bit of a gap, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, longer term and across the globe, there are real time systems that the tax authorities in a country use to look down into a business's um, bank account to mm. see if income that's in recorded in the bank is the same as, as they're seeing on their tax returns. Um, there are systems across the globe where you can't issue a sales invoice until you've been given a unique reference number by the tax authority in that country. So that they can map it. And the digital journey that we're on, potentially, we're at the start of that. Yeah. At the moment, it's just a supply in of information. You know, we send our VAT return in. But technically, in the future, there will be that yeah. ability to interrogate that data. So it's not looking at the one figure of output tax. It's going behind that to look into the sales ledger to say, that's made up of these invoices. Yes. Those invoices are, you know, generated within the system. Who were these invoices sent to? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. at the moment I'm just lumping it all together in one line, aren't I? There's no, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can see logically that would, would be the next step. Okay, so you know, we're looking there at um, some of the mistakes about your know, poor record keeping, I guess. Um, what about things that people people are 
think they can claim VAT back on, but can't. There's probably some expenses that I'm not able to claim VAT yeah. back on. And yet, if people are doing their own return, because yeah. there's lack of integrity or lack of kind of investigation at the moment, they may be mistakenly claiming. What sort of things could Yeah, well, you know, that the golf club membership, unlikely to get through, you know, those sorts of things. Things where there, where there is any risk of personal use. These, these costs that you're allowed to recover, um, there are certain things that are blocked from recovery. So uh, in most businesses, and I'm ignoring car dealerships, but in most businesses, you're not allowed to recover VAT on the cost of a car. That's blocked from recovery. Mm. Uh, but you, you can potentially reclaim VAT on 50% of the lease hire costs if you had a, you know, a contract hire car used in the business. Um, you're blocked from recovering uh, what we call business entertainment costs. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, that's always going to be an area that the revenue will pay good attention to. You're not allowed to recover VAT on costs, which, as I say, have got personal use um, that you're sort of trying to justify. You will see VAT cases on things like, um, you know, personalized car number plates. You know, the argument is always oh, is advertising my, you know, business. Yep. I'm a, those sorts of things. Mm. Um, You'll see odd cases, um, you know, helicopters used in a business, um, you know, is, and you'll see questions asked as to actually, is this a business? I mean, we've had cases where somebody's um, spent an awful lot of money on their, um, their, their daughter was a really good equestrian, uh, you know, horse riding, eventing, uh, and that doesn't come cheap. Hmm. Uh, and he, he they set up a VAT registration to say well you know this isn't her hobby this is you know a business she's doing she's getting sponsored you know but we've had to buy a horse lorry which was 400,000 plus VAT you know we want to claim this back yeah. so you know you have to actually be able to argue what you're doing is by way of business in order for you to get into the VAT registration area and then furthermore You've always got to remember, you can only claim VAT back if it relates to a taxable area of your business. Mm. In your environment, Rob, you, you, you deal in financial services. You might have uh, you know, organizations like yourselves who are generating exempt income as mm. well as taxable income. Now, they have to work out, not just am I entitled to recover VAT because I've got the right invoice, but does this cost support my taxable activities? Yeah. And if it's an overhead cost that supports exempt as well as taxable, they might not be able to recover all of it. Mm. Well, they need to work out how much they can mm. and then get into complex complexities, which we call partial exemption, as to yeah. working out how much it is. Is it a small enough amount, even though it relates to exempt, I can claim it, or is it over the limit and I can't claim it? So mm. these, these are when we say we're there for when VAT gets complicated, you're getting a sense as you can talk high level, but as soon as you dig a little bit into any business structure, that's where the complication yeah. Yeah. Let's pick up on that. So, a, a, a kind of a uh, kind of raison d'etre then as to why a business like yours exists. Obviously, you've got client confidentiality issues. But give us a sense then of why somebody would come to a VA specialist, a VAT specialist firm like yourselves. What kind of triggers? Oh my God, I need some help. What kind of issues have you seen? Right. Um, we we deal proactively with managing. So our larger clients. Um, will be doing building projects and um, or they might be restructuring their business or they might be thinking about a new product that they're taking to market so the sorts of pro projects we've done we you know we've done anything from considering whether a, a meal bar 
is going to uh, qualify as being zero rated by a food manufacturer because his competitors are saying his is zero rated, but the revenue saying to him, no, we think this has got X quantity of yogurt in it and it should be standard rated because it's a snack as opposed to a meal replacement bar. So it, we could operate at that level. Um, what have I got on my desk at the moment? We've, we've done major projects for universities who are not able to recover a lot of VAT on their costs. Um, and they're building new buildings and they want to know if they can get the building costs zero rated so they don't pay that on getting the construction or if they have to pay VAT on it, can we find ways to maximize the VAT recovery because of the use to which that building's yeah. put? So yeah, I can see there's a lot of triggers. I know, as you know, I recently referred one of our clients to you guys as well, where, yeah, the, the one element of the business was zero rated. They were looking to buy land different buildings on it um yeah there are just so many different variables in it and yeah. um yeah we all agreed you know get kind of a specialist in for, for a view on it so yeah. yeah as i can see what you mean it's not just about getting businesses out of problems it's confronting it up front so the structure is right going into the deal yeah the, you, you get the best outcome that, that you can because you know, we, we, that is is still a big figure. You know, if you're spending 30, 40 million pounds on, on a, a build, um, you know, you're going to be picking up, you know, 20% VAT on top of that. Yeah. If you're a charity and you, you know, people say, oh, I'm a charity, I don't charge me VAT. Charities get charged VAT the same as anybody else. Yeah. Very limited reliefs because an organization is a charity. So our job is to, you know, we, we support housing associations who are building projects or, yeah. Um, so it's not just, um, oh, I've got an assessment, help me. Yeah, we get that. Um, but in our whole reason for being is to raise that up the sort of agenda for financial directors so that they consider it earlier. So yeah. they don't buy it. They actually plan for it and, and maximize it within the scope of the legislation that's there. Mm. Yeah, there's one area which I've seen over the years that many business owners don't appreciate is VAT on commercial premises. So one of the first questions we ask whenever somebody comes to us to buy a, um, a commercial unit or commercial premises, um, is the, has the property been elected for VAT? And you know, what do you mean? It's a building. It can't be have VAT on it. Well, yes, it can. You know, yes, it can. Yeah. Experiences but, but, like that. Yeah. And I, and I mean, people get confused about the, the option to tax legislation. They think... Um, if somebody says, oh, yes, this building is opted, they think, oh, well, that's it. This, it's an opted building. It's always opted. And actually, it's the interest that you have that you're opting on. So mm -hmm. you bought in a building and the vendor has opted and charged you that doesn't mean that when you let that building, you automatically charge that on the rents. You have to decide whether you opt to tax on your interest in the building. So there'll be little things like that that are important not to get you know, oh, it's an opted building, therefore it's always an opted building. No, it's about the legislation. And yeah. equally, we've, we've produced arguments when people are selling businesses, property letting businesses, um, or commercial practices around property, we put together arguments, well, it's not actually a building that's been sold, it's a business that's been sold. And even though there's an opted building in there, we sell the business without having to charge VAT. And that's about knowing the complexities yeah. of Regime. This, this is this is the selling of transfer of going concern, is it? And it. Yeah, we're selling the business itself as opposed to the underlying uh, the underlying building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Okay, so we'll come to the end shortly now. Looking ahead, and we kind of touched upon this briefly. 
where do you think VAT is going? I know you said earlier it's kind of here to stay. And so we, we've kind of touched upon it. It would be good to summarise those points again of how you see VAT playing out over the next few years or so. Well, as I say, I mean, and it's not from any degree of self-interest, but I, I don't see um, an indirect tax system disappearing here in the UK. It's, it's a growing methodology of, of tax collection because as I say it's consumption and, and it can be used effectively so I don't see it changing I see there's been an, what we call an office of tax implication review in the last two years which has presented various simplification measures to to treasury none of which have yet been acted on of course but um, so there's a degree of change I think if we can get it a bit less complex yeah. with all layers of you know this limit applies here and this rule applies here um you know i think that would that would be a good thing because speaking as a business owner you know mm. my role as you know cbi and, and chamber of commerce sort of interests you know i think businesses need to have simplicity where they can mm. um, i think the the risk of coming out of the situation that we're in um it, it is great in terms of strain on tax revenues I have seen that put forward as a mechanism um, through which businesses could get subsidies. So we've got the C-bills and we've got the, yeah. the, the, the deferral schemes and we've got the job, you know, the furlough scheme. And I have seen suggestions, well, perhaps that could be a, a scheme, a bit like we talked on the flat rate. You charge somebody 20%, but you only pay over 5% mm. of that if you're in certain financial difficulties. Yeah, so okay whether that might be a way in which that gets used in the wider political sense. Mm. But um, yeah, I, 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 it is a complicated tax um, and I can't see it disappearing because of its revenue generation, but I could hopefully see it getting slightly less complex. Yes. But I, say, I could equally see us having a nil registration threshold. So if you're in business, you're that registered. Yeah. And there's no hiding then. If you don't end up paying VAT, that's fine, but you're in yeah. the system. So say in spite of being complicated, and I, I know you do, you're, you're doing a, a series of kind of conversations with experts. So if people want to try and keep up to date with, um, with VAT, just talk a little bit about what you're doing about helping business owners be a little bit more educated. Yeah, well, um, if you look on our, our website, centurionvat.com, you'll see that at the moment I'm doing a, a regular coronavirus VAT update just to keep people up to speed with all the stuff that's going on mm. um, to take advantage of. Um, I'm also, uh, we've got a series of in conversations that we're doing with our own team. So a bit like you and I have talked about in general terms, mm. but I mean, one of our specialists deals with um, aggregates levies and landfill tax which is one of those really hidden taxes within the indirect tax system, um, you know, be of interest to, you know, uh, land developers, um, port authorities, quite high level sort of thing. So mm. we're doing a series of those. But equally, I'll be doing conversations with our, our corporate tax, uh, corporate VAT specialists and our housing association VAT specialists. So we'll be putting those out there. The other thing that is, if, if people are listening who are, uh, you know, in areas uh, where we specialise, We've got a series of VAT forums, which are online. We do them every year, but we're doing them online this year. Mm. They're free to attend. You'll find details of those on our, our website. They're starting next week, housing associations, and then we're doing FE colleges and universities uh, in the month of, um, the month of June. So mm. there's always stuff that, like most people, like you yourself are doing, just to make sure people are, are well-informed mm. about how VAT 
is is constantly changing yeah great well liz thank you very much now you, you mentioned your web website so centurionvat.com was it yeah that's what people can go to and if somebody wants to get hold of you direct um, how can they do that well uh, i'm on twitter so uh, my my handle as they say is is that bat which uh, <laughs> I can tell you about why that is, but it's a, a long story. Um, but yeah, email us. Um, we've got a generic email address. Email us at centurionvat.com mm -hmm. uh, or the phone number here is uh, 01633-415-390. And uh, that defers at the moment to my mobile as well. So I pick up all the central calls. But as I say, there's a team of, of, of seven of us here, multi-skilled, multi-tasseted, and uh, are here to help when that gets complicated. Excellent, great way to round this up. Liz, really appreciate that. I know this is a massive topic and we've only just kind of touched the surface of it. So um, yeah, I do urge people that um, yeah, if you um, are planning something that looks a bit complicated, certainly get in touch with Liz and her team. And I think it's a good point there about uh, prevention is better than the cure, isn't it? So think about it beforehand, instead of having to come to you with HMRC threatening to knock on your door one morning let's get to get it all right at the very start superb Liz. thank you very much uh, for taking the time out to having a chat so and also thank you to you for watching and listening on this business finance bulletin extra um always keep an eye out for all the future bulletins and don't forget my regular business finance bulletin as well out every monday so thanks very much and look forward to being with you next time and liz thanks again bye bye now